right? And our clients and prospects are thinking, well, we just need you to crank out work. We don't care how you make us feel. We're going to be misaligned. And so that's why I think it's critically important for us to be screaming it from the rooftops, grabbing megaphones and yelling for anyone that can hear. Here is why we do what we do. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. It's one of those weeks, the the normal chit chat. We actually just kind of jumped into it, and I didn't hit the record button, so people are going to miss out on that fun. Yeah, they are. You know, me talking about a duck blocking the road. You talking about a horse blocking the road. (laughs) So, not duck, a goose. Sorry, life blocking the road. Life in the suburbs. I don't. I I don't. I've never been to your house, but I I think you're you're not in the suburbs. Like it's got to be like you're like close to an international airport. You're like city proper. So it's actually funny. I've been talking with a lot of people in you know, family, friends about the change in this area. So mm-hmm. at this point, like, it, you know, you have like your three main classifications, you know, urban, uh, urban, suburban, rural. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I, I kind of see another classification in there, which is between urban and suburban. And that's what this area has become. It is incredibly densely populated. It's it, when we, you know, when I was growing up, like it was truly the the suburbs, you know, what you think of the suburbs, it's yeah. where I'm at in proximity to the city in proximity. Cause we're not in Philadelphia proper. We're, we're South of the city, but it's sprawled, uh, right? Like it's oh, not like, yeah, yeah. it's not like you're out in a town and then you drive through country and then you're in Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia, 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 then the suburb, like there's then no the suburbs, Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it is definitely like that. So it's this, it, this kind of designation between a urban and, and suburban. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's highly congested. Like yeah. at this point it is incredibly densely populated here and um, it's, it's crazy. I think I was telling you at one point, like sometimes it takes me 25 minutes to, to get to the highway just based on traffic, trying to get to get to the local highway. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. You know, we see something something similar. There's been so much sprawl in in Utah along the um, kind of Salt Lake I-15 major freeway corridor here. Um, that so many things that were once rural are are now just enveloped by city. You know, and we were kind of mm-hmm. joking about the horse, but it, it's crazy to drive through the cities and like you drive and there's a pasture full of longhorns and horses and a guy literally out on a combine plowing his field next to this like eight lane freeway, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just such this bizarre kind of juxtaposition of, of visuals of what is happening. But that's what's happened here with the sprawl is that you had all this stuff that was built in rur- really rural areas and over the last 20 or 30 years the city has grown up around it. In fact, I, I got into it a little bit yesterday on, on Twitter about it because we, we live very near a military installation. 
mm-hmm. um, that was built. Um, what would that put it? World War II, like 1955-ish. I think that's around World War II. Post-World War II, the Cold War era. Um, And their their job was to do munitions dump and um, cleanup, detonation, like old Mm -hmm. old munitions from the war. What are we going to do with them? Well, we either have to store them or we have to, like, do away with them somehow. And that's what this military installation was set up to do. And they're still doing it to to this day. Not only cleanup, but it's used as a training ground for munitions experts to learn how to properly dispose of munitions. And in 1955, when they built this, there was, it was literally out in the middle of pasture. Like there was nothing out there, but now the entire, and I, I, I don't even want to say the term because it makes me cringe. The entire Silicon slopes has basically grown up around it. And so you have, you know, these massive businesses, uh, Oracle, Adobe, Microsoft, uh, eBay, Facebook, all have these presences within like earshot of this, this military installation. Um, and not only that, all the housing that has boomed up around it to support the, that. And yesterday was another one of those days where they were out blowing shit up. And it, <laughs> when they do, it completely just rocks my house, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was complaining and I always complained about it on Twitter and someone, someone tweeted back to me and said, well, that's like complaining when you buy a house next to a racetrack. I'm like, man, this is a little bit different. You know, we're, we're not talking about a handful of houses around a noisy racetrack that you can see is there. We're talking about a military installation that is for the most part hidden from public view as mm-hmm. they do with military installations. Um, that the, the city has allowed, been allowed to grow up around it. Um, exposing or uh, detonating munitions around three or 400,000 people. That's a, that's a big deal, you know, mm-hmm. and you can say all you want. Well, you know, buyer beware, your fault for buying near a military installation, but I don't think it's a fair criticism at this point where it's not me. It's, it's about three or 400,000 people that are in this kind of ring closely um, located next to this, this base. So yeah. anyway, complete offshoot tangent i don't like things being blown up in my neighborhood in my house and shaking no i get it it's like you know at this point if you've had this you know this suburban area grow up around the military base and you're doing that kind of work why not relocate it it's not like utah's press for space i mean we have a whole desert out to the west that's just dead dead zone like no one wants to like go blow stuff up out there you know you can you can move your installation 100 miles that way and no one's gonna even know you're out there yeah, and then this way you keep, you know, a nice 50-mile radius around it going yeah. forward so yeah. you don't have the the suburban sprawl, sprawl go that way. That's right, and I don't see it going that way. <laughs> I mean, it is such – so it's the salt flats. It's basically, oh, yeah. you know, the old um, Lake Bonneville, which is like this barren salt desert. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody in their right mind going to be living out there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so anyway. Um, so but, speaking uh, of uh, – Twitter uproars. Um, you know, yesterday via social media, you you kind of caused a stir with with a tech vendor, um, and I think it actually ties in with, a bit with the the topic I want to talk about today. Okay. So I'll, I'll allow you to set the context on on what's going on with that particular vendor. But what I want to revisit, I want to revisit a topic we haven't touched on in two and a half years. Um, so back in November of 2018, you, John, and I, <clears throat> excuse me, recorded an episode around the concept of, of North Star Metrics. 
And we, we talked about it. It was, it was an interesting conversation because I know like, when, you know, coming into that, you would voice, you know, some concerns around like growth ha hacking trends and yeah. th those kind of things. But I know we left that conversation with you really thinking about North star metrics and, and for, and just, just the, the quick, you know, paraphrase definition of a North star metric. It, it it's some kind of measure of, of success that is broad enough to show that you're moving in the right direction. I, pr I probably just butchered that definition. But again, the goal is, is, you know, not to get lost in the minutia of statistics and the health of the business. Yeah. You know, if the, our North Star metric is this particular thing, and if this particular thing increases, that means we're moving in the right direction. And then all of the smaller, you know, more specific metrics will follow. Um, so what I wanted to revisit that today and then, you know, also ask the question, like, you know, in that time, what is your thought changed around that as that, that term is becoming more and more used? Yeah. What is 33 sticks North star metric? I wanted to kind of touch on that a bit, but then I think again, you know, the, the uproar that, that, you know, the, the conversation you got started, um, you know, the comparison of North star metrics, uh, you know, it, it's obvious based on what you were talking about that their North star metric is, is different from what may or alignment did. alignment of North Star. alignment of it yeah yeah exactly so I guess yeah. let let's start with we before we dig into what is our North Star metric because uh, I think that ties also into a lot of the conversations you and I have been having internally um, what you know give our give, give everybody some context if they haven't seen it yet I'll also link the the post to the show notes about um, you know what happened yesterday and kind of what uh, what, what, what popped off. Yeah, and yesterday was just a a culmination of of things, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop short from naming any names on on the podcast. You can go look at my social posts. I I don't take down social posts, so it's it's there for you to to go see. You can see who I was talking about, um, but this isn't. Um, this isn't specific to, to any one vendor because this happens a lot uh, in the vendor um, agency relationships. Um, and, and really broader than that, in the vendor, um, what's the right word? Um, ecosystem um, relationships where there you have a lot of things that, that pop up, especially around very big and popular MarTech vendors. You have whole um whole communities pop up around it you have businesses pop up around it you have fans and detractors that pop up around it so you have this entire ecosystem that tends to revolve around these suns um which are these massive martech vendors um and unfortunately what ends up happening a lot is vendors don't really do a good job of thinking about their ecosystem as a whole what vendors are really good at is being black holes and they want everything to be within their, their walls. Um, you, you see this all the time with vendors wanting to own the, the image of their own brand, wanting to own all of the documentation of, the, of their brand, wanting to own all of the communication of their brand. Um, and so if you, you think about it, it's, it's very, very difficult to, to do that because again, these things just pop up around, um, around these companies and they're, they're almost like little satellites that orbit it. And I, and I think that these companies would be much better served viewing it that way 
and supporting these satellites that rotate around them as the sun, rather than viewing themselves as the black hole and trying to just suck everything in that is around them and destroying this network of satellites that really could be of, of value to them. And, and we see this all the time in, 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 in conjunction with the topic of, of this podcast, it, it often comes down to a misalignment of what our North Star metrics are. And for the vast majority, if not all of these very large MarTech companies, their North Star metric is quarterly earnings. That, that's it, because they're publicly traded companies, they're beholden to Wall Street, and they have to hit um, almost unattainable quarter over quarter growth or their stock price gets dinged, their executives get upset because their compensation is highly made up of stock, and that, which means their compensation goes down. And it's just a recipe for a really, really, really crappy experience as part of that ecosystem as an employee of that company, um, as a client, as a customer of that company. Um, it's, it's just very toxic to be in that environment unless your North Star metric happens to be the exact same and that we're in alignment, that our goals are both the same, that we're both trying to maximize quarterly earnings. In that case, it can work out. But if your if your goal, if your North Star metric is any different than that, we have a mismatch of expectations on what you're trying to do and what we're trying to do. And that often comes across as a diverging path that looks like a competitive path when in reality it's it's not. So my, my blow up yesterday was was that um, I see our aim and our goal to delight the companies that we work with. A lot of the companies that we work with um, are on a handful of major MarTech vendors. And I see it as our aim to make sure that they are getting the greatest value out of those platforms. Now, that may not translate to quarterly earnings this quarter, but we have a proven track record over eight years of doing business that it absolutely translates to maximizing customer lifetime value. If you're engaged with 33 Sticks, you're going to be maximized as a customer of a given MarTech brand because we are going to help you get the most out of it, which means you're going to use it more, longer, and you're most likely going to buy more product from that company than less. We've proven that time and time again, but that's in misalignment with the vendors. And so, you know, we're, we're not seen as aligning with their needs to drive quarterly results. And so that really was is what set me off yesterday is um, one of the, the vendors that we're a partner with um, took some very strong actions that were aimed at increasing their quarterly profit. Unfortunately, it made us look really crappy as a partner, not only a partner of them, but also as a partner with our client. Um, and, I, and I took issue with that. Um, and, and again, my biggest issue is the short sightedness of vendors looking at just quarterly results. If they were able to step back for just a few minutes and say, wow, you know, we may, we may sell a little bit more this quarter, but we're putting at risk a proven pipeline where if this client is engaged with 33.6, they're going to continue to be our customer and going to increase their spend with us over time. They're, they're incapable of seeing that. And that's my frustration. So if, you know, with this, what you're saying is then, you know, what we would consider our North Star metric is, is not in alignment 
with theirs, what would you say 33 sticks North Star metric is? It's a good question. My my North Star metric, I think, is um, I, I, I will probably get torn apart by business gurus um, by by those that are looking to uh, what what what's what's the what's the term um, hack the growth for the win to growth hack um, because my north star metric is really difficult to put a firm number on it's it's hard to quantify it as a number but my my north star metric is how happy are the people that we are working with that that leads and guides the vast majority of my decisions and who we are working with is is broad it it fits in at least four different categories we work with our employees we work with the employees of the companies that engage with us uh, we work with the employees at the the companies that we partner and do business with from a services product standpoint um, and and we work with people in our our network in our in our ecosystem uh, that you know may not be paying us, may not be in a paid engagement with us, but we work with them as well. We create content for them. Hopefully, they listen to our podcast. Maybe we engage with them on social channels. That is my that is my north star metric of those people that we're engaging with. How happy are we making them? And it's it's fluffy. It's I've been again accused of being a hippie CEO managing with quote rainbows and hacky sacks, um, but. It, it, it is a little bit fuzzy, but what I have found is that when you make people happy, when you make people successful, the money shows up. The problem with that is you can't manage like that if you're a public company. Wall Street doesn't care about happiness. Wall Street doesn't care that the people you're working with feel better about their lives. All they care about is how much money did you make this quarter? So... I, I understand that what I'm saying from a North Star metric perspective is going to be completely lost on anyone that works at a public company because it just doesn't make sense. For us, we can do it. We're not beholden to shareholders. We're not we're not beholden to investors that are pushing us to make a certain amount this quarter. So we don't have to forego happiness in order to hit some arbitrary number. Um, and 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 for me, that is is critically critically important. Um, and honestly is one of the main reasons why I left the corporate world behind. It was making me completely miserable and unhappy. And the reason why is from the top down that we were, our, our goals were misaligned. The goals of the company of every company I worked for maximized quarterly profits at all costs, which puts that as a mismatch with making people happy more mm -hmm. times than not. And, and I did not want to, to replicate that. Um, but I, I get it. I, I, I understand the naysayers. I've talked with a handful of companies over the years that had um, shown interest in purchasing 33 sticks. And when we started talking about it and said, well, what is your quarterly growth rate? What are you doing year over year? I'm like, I don't know. Whatever the market tells us we can grow. That's what we grow. No, you, no, no, you can't run a business that way. You can't do it. You have to double every year or you have to have a, goal, a growth goal of X every year and you have to hit it. I'm like, nope. We grow as much as the market says we can grow. And we're, we're happy with that. Um, so I, I get that that doesn't work for most people, but that's what works for us. Um, so not to sound all planned interview-ish. Um, well, it's not because we didn't plan it. 
Yeah. But now not, not to sound like I've got these canned questions, but, but you made me think about it then. Like, you know, if, you know, what you're using to measure success is, is happiness. You know, there's no such thing as, you know, units of happiness or percentage of happiness increase. I actually have a genuine question. Like, how do you keep your finger on the pulse there? Like, what are some of the things that you do to say, okay, like we're, we're moving in the right direction. I mean, first and foremost, it's about communication. Um, it's, it's really the, it should be the biggest part of my, my job. Um, I was talking to, to a friend the other day and they were asking like, what does your day to day look like? And I said, unfortunately, right now I'm doing way too much client work. And they're like, why do you say unfortunate? You're really, really good at analytics. I'm like, I am really good. The people I've hired are even better than me. Um, so the fact is, is that if you're engaged with with us and you, you have me on the account, you're probably getting top-notch service. But if you were engaged with one of our other people, it'd be even better. Because what I think I'm better at is just connecting with people and having conversations. And I have a really good sense and feel for what people are thinking and how they're feeling. Um, you know, we've done lots of personalities um survey things over the years, tests. Um, I'm a, on the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFJ, which is a very, very, very rare personality type that is highly intuitive in sensing of others, can feel kind of um, almost on a cosmic level what other people are thinking and feeling. And I think, you know, that is one of my superpowers is that that is what I have the ability to do. So I prioritize time Internally, I have one-on-ones every week without exception with every person in the company. We're small enough that I can do that. Um, we're not to where I want to be yet, but with a healthy chunk of our business, I have reoccurring one-on-ones with our uh, primary stakeholders from an executive standpoint. Um, I try to spend a good amount of time on, link- on LinkedIn, on Twitter, kind of keeping a pulse of our community. And I use that to get a sense of, are we doing things in the right direction? So from an employee perspective, are the choices I, we're making, making our employees happy? From a client perspective, is the work that we're doing and the way that we're engaging with our, our clients, is it making them happy? And from, a, um, and from an ecosystem perspective, is the work that we're doing, is the content we're creating, are the conversations that we're starting, is the fact that we're being transparent in how we do business, is that making the the ecosystem that we work within happy? And and that's how I measure it. Measure. And it's a bit of a stick your finger in the wind and kind of feel which way the wind is blowing. Um, but directionally, it works. You know, I can... I, I, I know when decisions we're making are leading to less happiness in employees, and we change that. I know that, you know, if we're engaging in a, one way or another that's not maximizing happiness with the client, I can pinpoint that really quickly, and we make those changes. So while, again, it's it may be difficult to graph that out over time and look at a metric, um, it is something that I can sense and feel, and we do have some proxies for putting that in a numeric way so we can visualize it and keep a pulse on it. Um, but it's a little bit of science and it's a whole lot of art, but I think that's how analytics is anyway. Analytics isn't a pure science. It isn't pure mathematics. There's a lot of art, um, and intuition that has to go into analytics as well. So it kind of mirrors that nicely. Mm -hmm. Um, how have clients been, been receptive? You know, have you, you know, had 
like the the flat out conversation about how you're measuring success or is it just kind of also been they've just kind of picked up on the vibe and are you know yeah responding one way or another it's definitely the latter um i would like it to be more the formal former both with our clients and with um with the marketplace as a whole but we haven't really formalized it and talked about it in that way it's it's been much more organic and the way that I talk about it with prospects or others that are interested in talking about the way that we do business, I tell them it's been one of my biggest struggles in that it's really, really difficult for me to tell you what it feels like to be engaged with 33 sticks, but buy services from us. And I will guarantee you within a week, you will say, wow, this is completely different than anything I've experienced before. I love it. I want more of it. Um, in fact, I have a quote from one of our, our clients that I love um, where she said something like, I just wish every agency that we were involved with worked just like you guys. And I'm like, man, that's got to be the highest compliment, you know, we, we've received because it was, it was really meaningful, right? It's like, we wish every agency we worked with did business the way you do business. This is something new and unique. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been mostly organic. Um, we, we do have plans to make that more formalized and start talking about it with our clients, but I also want to start talking about it with, with the marketplace. And I think it's a completely fair and valid conversation to have and, and not to throw other agencies under the bus or attack their way of doing business, but, but truly educating the market on options because we're not, was my light totally freaking out? You see that? Yeah, it is. The camera's picking up something. That was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, now I lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, so we're, we're not the, the best fit for everybody. We're, we're not a perfect fit for everybody. And I think that's okay. I, I truly believe that both products and services that are positioned as one size fits all, you know, an all in one solution is rarely the best solution. It tends to be a highly mediocre solution. And sometimes that's okay. I mean, I own, where is it? Right there somewhere. This all in one HP printer. And for my needs, it's completely fine. But if I needed like a really, really high end scanner or I needed a printer to print like photo quality stuff, that ain't ain't it. You know, that's not going to do it. Um, And it's it's the same with services. You know, I think there are a lot of agencies that are a a all in kind of we do everything. And for lots of companies, that's completely fine. But for the companies that are looking for something more dedicated and high end uh, it doesn't fit. And, and I think that that's one of the conversations that hasn't happened in the marketplace, not only from a skills and delivery perspective, but more importantly, from a experience perspective. And that would, that kind of goes to my, what does it feel like to be engaged with 33 sticks? When, when you think about buying services, no one has that conversation. They just say, well, what are you good at? Are you good at Google analytics? Can you, you know, do SQL? You know, what, what are your skills in Python or R? Like those are the conversations. Let's vet it out like a checklist of, of hard skills. No one ever says, well, what, what would it feel like to actually be engaged with this agency? And I think that that's really unfortunate because there is a feel to it. There is an experience with it. Whether it's purposefully designed or not, you will have an experience buying a product, buying a service. So why isn't that part of the conversation when we're vetting out the types of services that we want to buy? And so that's really one of my core missions this year is to start to educate the market on not only thinking about 
the skills that you need to vet out when thinking about hiring a services company, but also vetting out the experience that you're going to be getting into when you buy services from that company. And one of the things that I want to start talking about more transparently is that this is the 33 sticks experience. This is what it will be like for you to engage with 33 sticks. This is how it will make you feel. And this is different from other experiences you have. How do I know? Because I've offered those other experiences as part of another company. I've received those other experiences as as a buyer of services from other companies. It's not right or wrong. It's just a different experience. Here's the 33 sticks experience. Here's this other experience. What experience do you want to have, Jim? We're both really good at analytics. That should be off the table. Now it's what experience do you want to have? That's really what you should be buying. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, plays so nicely with our North Star metric. Because if we're talking about just the hard skills and how much we can charge for that and what you're buying, then there's a misalignment. But our metric is happiness. How does it make you feel? And so why shouldn't we be educating the market on that? Why shouldn't we be selling that? Why shouldn't we be talking about that as part of how we work? Because if ultimately that's our measure, but we don't expose that to our clients or our prospects, then we've set a misalignment. Right. And our clients and prospects are thinking, well, we just need you to crank out work. We don't care how you make us feel. We're going to be misaligned. And so that's why I think it's critically important for us to be screaming it from the rooftops, grabbing megaphones and yelling for anyone that can hear. Here is why we do what we do. This is our purpose and this is what we measure against. So if you want to engage with us as a partner, as a client, as just someone in the industry, This is what we do. Does that align with what you want to do? And it's something that we've all missed. We we all do a horrible job at doing that. We want to be one of the first that fixes that, that we start being very clear and intentional on why we do what we do and have people self-select in because that's what they want to do as well. Mm -hmm. And I have a follow-up question, but I just don't know how to ask it. Okay. How do you respond then? Like if if it's about the experience, if it's about the feel of working with 33 sticks as compared to somebody else, someone comes along and is like, I I really don't care. Um, I, I just, I need you for the hard skills. I know you have some of the best when it comes to these specific hard skills. Don't care about the experience. Just want to, engage with you for, for those. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you respond to that? Because Bye. in that case, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's simple. It's that simple. And I have done that. We'll do that. Um, because again, I, we can do that because our North star metric isn't quarterly results. If, mm-hmm. if our North star metric, if I had some arbitrary, we need to grow X, we need to sell Y, then I would be put in a position of having to take that in order to meet that goal. We don't, so I don't. And I think that is what has allowed us to keep this unique culture going for so many years. I mean, going on a decade at this point, we've been able to do that because we don't have to put that in question just to hit some quarterly number. It's the long game. It's it's bringing in the right types of clients. And so I, I actually empathize a lot with people that may feel that way, but are in a position to, are in a position where they are helpless to do anything about it. Uh, you know, I think about these people that work at these vendors that they're measured towards quarterly results. 
I don't, I don't put the blame on the people on the ground. They're just doing the work. And, and often they're, they're helpless to do otherwise because their paycheck, their career growth is dependent on it. And so I don't, I don't fault them. I do feel incredibly bad for them. I do empathize with them because it's incredibly um, depressing, honestly, to work in an environment where your vision is so misaligned with the vision of what you're being held accountable to do. It, it is such a depressing place to, to be in. Um, and so that's why it is incredibly easy for me to say that. Jason, we don't care. We just actually, we want to buy a block of hours. We just want you to crank out work. We don't care about the experience you're creating. We don't care about being friends and talking about personal things. It's so easy for me to say, got it. Go find someone else. There's lots of agencies that align with you on that. We don't align with you on that because the minute I bring them in the door, they're now a virus within our system that is going to attack the way that we do things. And it's going to, going to put at risk our, our health as a company that has a center and a balance around our culture and way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, one last question as we start to, to, to wrap up, we're a little short on time. This I, week. I actually like this runtime. Like, yeah, it, it's I, really I, good. I, I know that, I know that we could hit hours and hours a lot. Um, but, um, it feels, it feels like a nice consumable chunk. I think. Exactly. Anyway. Um, what would you say to someone uh, that is like, that sounds all well and good. Um, I just, I, I, I agree with it. I like it. Uh, you know, I think you're, you're going down the right path. I would like to do it, but I just can't. Like, and well, I don't even know if that's the best way to ask that. But just kind of like, yeah, that's great and all. It sounds good, but I'm still going to do it this way. Like, you know, someone who doesn't yeah. know, like, is either having trouble truly embracing it or, you know, they say they see the value in it. They say it aligns with them personally, but then they just default to what they've always done. Yeah. And I and I hear that um, a lot. I think we're we're fortunate in that. I heard that a lot as an employee, um, the, these ideals, these things that we're doing as a company, our, our culture and our core values, this isn't something that just started day one when 33, six started. These are, these are ideals that have been, um, matured and developed over, um, years, um, of working. And, um, I've always wanted to put them to the test. And ultimately I think that's what got me close to the edge of jumping off and starting my own business was I had been told far too many times that this wouldn't work and I needed to find the answer for myself. I didn't know if it would work or not. I thought it would work. I had seen glimpses of it working by trying to deploy something here and there, but to to their point, I had never actually tried to make it work. So I didn't know. And so for me, that was kind of my first step was, you might be right, this might not work, but I need to find out for myself. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'll be humble enough to admit that it doesn't work and I'll learn from it and I'll do something different, but I got to try it. And that's my advice back to people. Like if, if you truly believe in doing something differently and you think it's going to work and you have passion about it and you've seen signs and validation that it's the right approach for you and the type of clients that you want to work with and customers that you want to attract and employees that you want to be part of that journey, do it, go and do it. 
no one, no, there's no one's going to be able to give you a firm answer if it's going to work or not than you. So if you truly believe in it, the easy path is going to do it the way it's always been done. That's the less risky path. And if, if you just want to start a company, if you just want to do something new internally in your team, you know, this isn't just about entrepreneurs. We're all entrepreneurs to some degree. We're all running our own kind of brands and businesses within the companies we work in. And so this applies there as well. And if you have some ideas that you want to do differently, but you default the way that it's always been done because it's safe, um, it's going to ensure my paycheck, it's going to ensure my revenue, um, then you're never really going to change anything. You're going to be stuck in the status quo. And if you want to do something different, you're ultimately going to end up not liking what you do. If you truly believe you have a better way of doing it, do it. And let the actual proof of that come through that it either is going to work or not. It's not going to work every time and that's okay. But don't let people deter you because they tell you it's not going to work. If you truly believe in it, go and do it and find out for yourself. That's what I would tell people. That's what I do tell people. And I think that is the perfect spot to wrap up. Awesome. This was a good, yeah. good chat. Yeah, no, this, this was fun. And the, the timing came came together well. Yeah. You know, a couple Agreed. of various happenings kind of all tied together nicely into, into the topic. Yep. Good stuff. And hopefully people found some value out of this. What I found as we're kind of putting out more and more content is that it's really causing people to slow down and think and question and talk and think about what do they want for their team, for their company, for their lives. And to me, that's awesome. So I'm hoping that this is another one of those conversations where it really hits people in the face and they take a step back and say, man, I really need to think about that. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's an awesome measure of the success of our, of our content and our podcast. Is it really causing people to think? And I think this episode absolutely hits on that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, we spend what, 45 years of our life working, you know, for, yeah. you know, deferring the ability to, to enjoy life until, you know, work and people are like, they, they grind through it. And that, I mean, that, that was something that kind of came, came to me about 10 years ago was yeah. like, you know, do, do you want to be unhappy for 45 years and grind through and do something you don't want to do right. to then retire? And then, I mean, I, I've shared with you with, this with you personally but like my grandfather he worked his ass off two jobs until he retired and he died a year and a half after he retired yeah we have to enjoy the now the moment yeah and i yeah. mean like this is where it starts to get very zen like but yeah. it's something that that, that that sticks with me and when i get when i get fired up about something or i get stressed out or i start whining about something like just think about like you know, I try to put it in perspective like that. It's a great visual to have mm -hmm. for sure. We can't. Yeah. And because we all tell ourselves that and we're kind of going down a different tangent here right at the end, but we all, we all tell ourselves that, that, yeah, I hate this job. This job makes me miserable, but it's a means to an end in like in 30 years, then I'll be happy. Yeah. To hell with that, man. Make decisions that are going to make you happy today. You don't know what's going to be there in 30 years. Yeah. And then that's why, like, um, he, he died when I was like in the seventh grade. Yeah. And it was honestly, it was one of those things that always stuck with me. You know, he, he worked, 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 retired, then got sick and was gone a year and a half after. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. So, well, not to, not to, and honestly, if anything, it's, it's been, 
you know, that it, it, this sounds morbid, this sounds horrible, but that was kind of like an inspiration, like enjoy work, you know, like I do work that you enjoy. So you're not constantly deferring, having fun, enjoying what you're doing and be happy at work. Just find some place where you can be happy. You may not make the most money, but damn it. Happiness is way once you've reached a certain, certain threshold, enough is enough. Well, well, don't they say like, like anything, like, like I heard somebody saying, and I don't know the veracity of this, but it really made me think they were thinking like when it comes to income, yes. I mean, like, would I be happy making a million dollars a year? Yes. But really to be happy, 70 grand a year, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. I, I've heard similar things. Now you can, you can do a lot with money. So if you made a lot more, you could do a lot more good. Not a lot of people do that. In fact, more money often makes people more miserable. You know, you look at these people that make multi-million dollars a year and they're sad, they're depressed. Like money doesn't they're buy miserable. That. Miserable. Once you have your basic needs covered, um, there is, there's a point where enough is enough. How much is enough is enough. And how much are we going to continue to chase that um, in, in lieu of happiness? And I'm going to end this on a verse from the Tao. There is a perfect chapter in the Tao that talks about this. Hold on, I gotta find it. I've gotta stretch this out while I find it. <laughs> I should just have this up because there's there's always huh? You're typing, you're typing. You know, for, typing. for our audio yeah. listeners, just I'm, uh, I'm I'm giving typing. them um, filling dead air. Yeah. Let's I'm trying to find it. Uh This is, and, and I had this on my Twitter pro profile for, for years and years and years. It's probably my favorite chapter from the Tao, and it's the one that I resonate with the most. Um, and, if, and if you say two words from this from Hila, she will instantly resonate with it because there's, there's two words in here that, that just kind of defines it. And I'm going to read the whole thing. It's only four, three paragraphs. Uh, fame or integrity, which is more important? Money or happiness, which is more valuable. Success or failure, which is more destructive. If you look to others for fulfillment, you will never truly be fulfilled. If your happiness depends on money, you will never be happy with yourself. Be content with what you have. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. I mean, to me, that just hits it, mm -hmm. right? Like, you have everything. If, if you're looking for more and more money, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to reach happiness. Realize that once you have your basic needs covered, not, you have nothing lacking. Everything belongs to you. Be content with that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my favorite. Good place. No, to that, that was really good. I like that. I'm going to have to bookmark that. I'm going to have to look, at, look it up and, and bookmark it. Cool. Cool. All right. All right. This was awesome. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. See you guys. We'll catch everybody later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.